0: thank you. I love love that song. I love to sing about the cross, sing about our glorious Savior, sing about his grace and his kindness towards us, His love that we don't deserve. How glorious it is. If you would join me in prayer, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ability to sing praises to your name. Father, we thank you for the ability to come before you in prayer. We thank you for the fellowship that we share with one another. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, your unchanging word, your powerful word, your word that is alive and active, is working in our hearts. Father, your word that, as the Holy Spirit teaches it to us, convicts us of sin encourages us, challenges us, lifts us up, teaches us. Father, and makes us fall more in love with You. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we have access to Your Word, that we have copies of Your Word, that we have the ability to come to Your Word and open it up and, and search the pages and the words and Find truths about You and about us and about our problem of sin and about Your solution, Jesus. And Father, learn how You desire for us to live for Your glory and Your honor. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And as we come to this time in our service where we open it up, Father, speak to our hearts through Your Spirit. As Your Spirit applies Your Word to our lives. Father, there's nothing today that I will say on my own that will be of any benefit to us. Father, accept what is said that affirms what you have already said in your word. So, Father, teach us from your word today. Help us to take your word seriously. And help us to find joy satisfaction in knowing you through your word. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, I hope that you do. I encourage you to open up to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. We're going to look at uh, just a few short verses today. Chapter 4 verse 28 through 31. Really tagging along right where we were last week. I don't know if you are a uh, confident person or not very confident or what kind of confidence you have in in certain things. I know somebody who has been very confident um, over the past few years, I guess about three and a half, four years, uh, been very confident in three different things, kind of similar things, but three separate things, I'll I'll say. And, um, And his name is Dad. Okay, that's what I call him. I call him Dad. Um, You know him by David. I know him by dad. And there have been three things that he's been very confident in, Uh, very confident that the three children that my wife and I have given him as grandchildren would be grandsons. And his confidence has uh, taken a turn for the worse, just in his confidence, I'll say. Um, We have definitely learned that he is not a prophet uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, he has said very confidently, "It's going to be a boy," and is a girl. And then he said very confidently, "Going to be a boy," and is a girl. And then very confidently again, maybe a little less confident in the first two times, but still holding out hope. Um, even naming y'all know what he named our third child, Rufus. That's what he that's what he called um, her, thinking that she was a he, and uh, she's a she. And her name is not Rufus. Um, <laughs> her name is Ellie. And so, uh, anyways, um, confidence, but not a whole lot to stand on, um, I guess you could say, uh, confidence in really just a, a wish. However, there is confidence that we can have as followers of Christ, and we want to talk about that for just a few minutes today. If you were here last week, uh, we studied chapter twenty-one, uh, chapter four, verse twenty-one through twenty-seven, and we talked about this family, that we want to be a part of this family. And, and this is kind of part of a little mini-series, if you will, in the book of Galatians that we're calling Gospel Freedom. We're going to talk about this freedom for, for a few weeks and, and explain how we have this freedom and what this freedom looks like in our lives. And as we go through and get into chapter 5 in the, in the coming weeks, we'll begin to see some very practical ways that this freedom um, that causes in our lives, some, some changes that it makes in how we live our lives on a day-to-day basis. And we'll get a little taste of that this morning. But if you'll recall, back in verses 21 through 27, uh, Paul set up this this story, if you will, that he got from the Old Testament. The story of Abraham who had two, uh, two sons, and these sons were by two different women, and he called this a child of promise and a child of slavery. One was by the slave woman, Hagar. One was by the free woman, Sarah. And, and we find from those two, fam- two families uh, a much larger family. That we all fall into one of these two families, either a family of slavery or a family of freedom, either the family of promise or the family that is centered on works of the flesh, either the family that is centered on the work of God and His Spirit's work in us, or just something that we can manufacture on our own, which really is nothing but slavery. And so we talked uh, fairly in depth about this story and how Paul sets this up. But then he gets to verse 28 through 31 and he takes that story from the Old Testament and how he's interpreted it allegorically and he applies it to the present context of the Galatians. You recall the Galatians are, are this, this, these churches here full of believers who have who have been tempted by by Satan who is behind these false teachers to begin to think that they somehow need to add to what Jesus did on the cross that what He did on the cross was somehow not enough to really save them from their sin to really allow them to be a part of God's family and Paul writes this letter to say no what Jesus did on the cross is enough and that's why salvation is through. Faith alone and not through your works, not one little bit. So as we move into verse 28, uh, Paul's going to he's going to remind them of the confidence that they should have. As we think about gospel freedom, it's really a call to confidence, a confidence in who we are in Jesus. And so we want to say from last week, make sure you belong to the right family. And once you're a part of the right family, be confident In your family membership. Be confident that you belong to that family. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Let's read verses 28 through 31. If you'll follow along on your copy of God's word as I read. Verse 28, Galatians 4. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. If you have placed your faith in Jesus alone for salvation, as Paul has talked about multiple times in this letter, if you today have placed your faith in Jesus for salvation, whether that was 60 years ago, six years ago, six months ago, or six days ago, doesn't matter. If you have placed your faith in Jesus alone for salvation, then you can have confidence that you belong to the right family, that you belong to the family of freedom, that you belong to the gospel family. I love that about the salvation that we have. We can be confident in In our salvation. When we studied last year uh, the book of 1 John, in that letter, we saw that one of the key verses in it was where John said in chapter 5, verse 13 of 1 John, that I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And Paul's doing a very similar thing here. He's helping them have confidence in their salvation. And so first truth that we want to see today is this. As a member of the family of freedom, as a member of the family of freedom, be confident in your status as children of promise. As a member of the family of freedom, be confident in your status as children of promise. Notice verse 28. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. That's one of those verses, and I'm even tempted to do this myself, As I read through Galatians, it's so short just to kind of read over it really quickly. Some of those verses that we looked at last week, got like these characters from the Old Testament, quoting the Old Testament. And those are some of the verses there you kind of stop and say, wow, that's interesting. What's going on here? Verse 28 is kind of one of those verses where you get through all that and you just kind of breeze right over it. But Paul is saying a very important thing here when we think about the context in which he is writing this letter. He is trying to help these believers who have been thinking, maybe I'm really not a part of the gospel family, the family of freedom. Maybe I'm really not. I thought I was, but but i got to do something more than put my faith in Jesus. This statement is huge. He is encouraging them. He says, now you, brothers, like Isaac, that's the child not from the slave woman but from the free woman, you, like Isaac, are children of promise not maybe not might me not i think you are not i'm 90% sure that you are he says you are children of promise think about what an encouragement that would be to these believers who have begun to think i don't really know if i am I've got these People coming in telling me that I'm not. And, and if I don't do this and this and this and, and do all these things and, and work for it, then I can't have confidence. And Paul's saying, yes, you are a part of God's family. I want to ask four questions about verse 28. Four questions that this kind of kind of draws, draws me to, to want to answer as I read verse 28 and think about the confidence that we can have. Notice that it says that you are children of promise. We want to make sure we understand what is the promise we should be we should desire to be children of. What is that promise that we want to be be able to say, hey, I'm a child of that promise? Well, it's simply this God's promise to justify people from every nation who believe in Jesus. God's promise to justify people from every nation who believe in Jesus. Paul has said as much. Galatians chapter three, verse two. Eight, Paul wrote, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. That's the promise that Paul keeps referring back to. It's that promise given to Abraham. In, in, I was going to say in Abraham chapter 12. It's not named, the book's not named after Abraham. A lot of it's about Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. That promise is given to Abraham, and you shall all the nations, all the families of the earth be blessed. How? Through believing in Jesus. That's the promise. And Paul says that it's justification by faith. What is justification? It's simply a right standing before God. The promise is this, that if I believe in Jesus and what he did on the cross to rescue me from my sin. Then one day I will stand before him, having committed lots and lots of sin, having inherited a sin nature from Adam, but I will stand with him in a right relationship with God, who is holy and perfect and just and should punish me for my sin. I get to stand before him in a right relationship. That's the promise. Through faith in Jesus, I can be saved and you can be saved. That's what it means to be a child of promise. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22, we see these words. The promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. How do, how do I become a child of this promise? By believing in Jesus. So that's the first question. What is this promise? Second question, how can Paul be so confident in their status? How can he be so confident? How can he say, you are children of promise? So simple, yet so profound, because of the third question that we'll get to in a second. But it's so simple. How can he be so confident? You ready? Because they had placed their faith in Jesus. Because they had placed their faith in Jesus. That's where... His confidence in their salvation came from, and that's where their confidence in their salvation should come from. Their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says as much already in the beginning of chapter 3. He said, let me ask you only this, verse 2, chapter 3. Let me ask you only this. Did you, he's talking to the Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What's Paul saying? He's saying, when I was there with you, and I preached the gospel to you, you trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation. You saw that there was no way you could ever earn your salvation, and so you believed wholly upon Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. And you received the Spirit. You were saved. And so now in chapter 4, he places all that confidence on their faith. He doesn't say, I know that you are children of promise because you are obedient to this law. Or because you are obedient to this law. Or because you are obedient to this rule. Or because you tried to clean up your life. Or because you started going to church. Or because you went to Sunday school. Or never missed Sunday school. Or because you started reading your Bible. Or because you said your prayers at night. Or because you tried to do nice things for people. Or because you did. That's not the confidence for our salvation. How do I know that I'm saved? Because, because I've called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and said, I can't do it, Jesus, but you have done it for me. And for the rest of my life, however long God allows me to live and breathe on this earth, however long I'm a follower of Christ here, my confidence will always be not in anything that I have done, but in the fact that I have placed my faith in Jesus. And I'm trusting his promise to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What's your confidence then? Today I hope that if you're saved you're confident in your salvation, but what is that? What is the basis for your confidence? Is it just a hopeful wish? Is your confidence in what you have done or what you are doing? Listen, I'm not I'm not downplaying the importance of good works. In our lives, we are called to live lives full of good works, but it's not our good works that save us. And if we're not careful, especially the longer that we are Christians and we seek to serve the Lord, we could fall in temptation of of having confidence that I'm saved because of the things that I have done or am doing to serve the Lord. Yes, serve the Lord, Christian. Yes, give your life over to serving King Jesus. But never, never, ever think that it's because of what you are doing to serve the King that he has saved you. It's only because of what he has done. Which leads to the third question. How can faith in Jesus provide such confidence in salvation? We've, we've, we've seen what the promise is. We said, how can Paul have such confidence? Not because of things that they have done, but because they have placed their faith in Jesus. But how is it that placing my faith in Jesus can give me such confidence? It's a bold thing to say. Listen, it's a bold thing to say one day when I stand before the God of this universe who is holy and righteous and judges sin justly. That I'll stand before him. And I will have a right relationship with him. And he will say, come in, my good and faithful servant. That is a bold thing to say. How can I say such a thing knowing the kind of sin that I, knowing that, how can I say, well, it's it's simply because I believed in Jesus Christ. That God will welcome me into his kingdom. How can I say such a thing? Because of what Jesus has done. Because of the magnitude of what He accomplished on the cross. Because of Jesus and what He did, faith in Him gives us confidence. It's not simply my faith, like I have enough faith. Like I have conjured up enough faith in me to save me. It is through faith, but it's not simply my faith that saved me. It is what Jesus did on the cross. Faith is only as good as the object in which that faith is placed. It's only as good as the object in which that faith is placed. If, Let me see. Who I want to pick on this morning? Who do I want to pick on? Um, Michael. I'm going to pick on Michael. Okay. Michael's sitting back over there. He's like, oh, why did he call me? All right. So, Michael, I know you're a strong, strapping young man. But if you walked up here, don't do it because I'm not going to do it. If you walked up here and stood in front of me and I jumped off this stage and I said, I have faith in you to catch me, I would hit the ground because I don't think you're strong enough to catch me. You might be able to, but I don't know. But let's say you could and I didn't touch the ground. I have the same faith. Depends on whether or not you can catch me as to whether that faith's any good, right? My simple faith is not going to keep me from hitting the ground. What matters is how strong Michael is. Can he actually catch me? It's not ultimately a faith that saves me from hitting the ground, though I do have to have faith. It's his ability. It's who I place my faith in. See, the confidence in our salvation isn't solely because of our faith. It's because of our faith is in someone who is strong enough and powerful enough and has done everything necessary to save us. And His name is Jesus Christ. If I can summarize what He has done in, in two ways. Jesus has provided a sufficient sacrifice for us. He has provided a sufficient sacrifice. In other words, Jesus paid for all of our sins. He didn't pay partly for our sins. It wasn't a partial payment. And then he says, I paid some, you paid the rest. He paid for all of our sins. One of my favorite uh, verses, two verses, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Anytime I think about the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice, that it was enough. I love 13 and 14, Colossians chapter 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. You ready? Having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He has forgiven us all our sins. Why? Because all of our sins were nailed to the cross. His sacrifice was sufficient. But not only was it a sufficient sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus was acceptable to God. Jesus provided a, an acceptable sacrifice. See, there was a particular kind of sacrifice that God required. There had to be blood that was shed. And it needed to be the blood of someone who was innocent and perfect. And it needed to be the blood of someone who was innocent and like us, a human. And Jesus met all of those requirements. Human shedding innocent blood. A human shedding innocent blood. As so we think about sacrifice, a great place to go is to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. And I, I want to go there for just a moment. And I want you to notice in, in this, these two passages I'm going to read. I want you to notice the, the, the perfection of the sacrifice that Jesus offered and how because it was the right sacrifice, God was able to accept it. But when Christ, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, But when Christ appeared... As a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, here's the confidence, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more... Here's the three things. Will the blood of Christ, who became man as the human, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, there's the innocent part, the perfection, to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I want to read that one more time because I chopped it up. I interjected my own words. Verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I want to skip over to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus paid the price for all of our sins. He was the exact kind of sacrifice that God would accept. And when he made the sacrifice, he ascended to his father's right hand and he sat down. Why? Because the work was done. There was nothing left to do to pay the price for our sins. So we have confidence in the fact that we are children of promise because we placed our faith in someone who is able to save us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That leads me to this fourth question. I know I'm taking a long time on this first point, but that's okay, all right? Because this is the basis for everything we want to say here today. That leads me to this fourth question, though. Because any time I think about the word confidence always think about the risk involved with being confident. What's the risk involved in being confident in something? Pride. Arrogance. A haughty spirit. Boastfulness. So how then can we be confident but not arrogant? Rewind about five minutes of this message and play it back again. Because Jesus did all the work. Anytime we are tempted to become arrogant and don't think that you are beyond being tempted to be arrogant or prideful in your salvation. None of us are beyond being tempted to be arrogant. We will all face that to think that somehow I was worthy of my salvation. Anytime we face that temptation, we must remind ourselves, ultimately, it's not my salvation simply my faith that saved me, but the one in whom my faith is placed that saved me. So I can't pat myself on the back for jumping off the stage and not dying. I need to pat Michael on the back because he was strong enough to hold me. Right? He's the one who gets the credit. Really, he did the work. All I did was fall over and rely completely on him. How can we be confident and yet not arrogant by remembering Jesus, by remembering the cross, by remembering that it is not by works, but by grace through faith. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, that that grace and that faith are gifts from God. So God gets all the glory. So no boasting, no pride, no arrogance in this confidence. It is a humble confidence. Because our confidence in our salvation is rooted in God's grace, received through faith, not through our works. Now, I told you verse 28, Pat, if we really slow down and think about what Paul is saying, extreme confidence. Now, three ways that this confidence kind of impacts our life, okay? Because we can be confident that we're children of promise through our faith in Jesus Christ. Three ways this confidence in our status affects our lives. So point number two, confidently face persecution from children of law. Confidently face persecution from children of law. Notice verse 29. Paul writes, but just as at that same time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. we got to remember the story that Paul just told in the previous verses. Son Ishmael from the slave woman Hagar. Son Isaac from the free woman Sarah. Paul writes, just as at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him and was born according to the spirit. Well, in what way did Ishmael persecute Isaac? It's a little hard to tell from Scripture, but we do have one word in one verse in Genesis chapter 21. At this point in the story, in Genesis, Hagar has born Ishmael, the slave child, and Sarah has borne Isaac, the promised child. Verse 8, chapter 21 of Genesis, and the child, that's talking about Isaac, the the child of promise, and the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. That's all we have, okay? So what we have to do is go back to that word laughing and say, what does that mean? Does that mean that Ishmael and, and um, Isaac were just out having fun and they were laughing and having a good time? Probably not. That word laughing probably means laughing in mockery, making fun of in some way because of the verse that comes next, which we'll read in just a minute. So in some way, in some way, Isaac, the child of promise, was being persecuted by Hagar, the child of slavery. Now bring that to the New Testament context. Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing this letter to the Galatians. A people that he had gone to, most likely on his first missionary journey, and had traveled through. And we have a record of that journey in the book of Acts. And I want to take you briefly on that journey and highlight something that happened just about every one of his stops. If we were to go back to Acts chapter 13, we would see this journey. Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. And Paul first goes to a place called Antioch, Pisidia. Remember, this is in the region of Galatia. Paul traveled there, Antioch and Pisidia. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So they leave. And they go to Iconium, another city in Galatia. And they preach the gospel. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, the passage goes on and says they left. Where did they go? They went to a city called Lystra. I say they because Barnabas was with him on this journey. They go to a city called Lystra. Well, what happened when they get to Lystra, a city in Galatia? But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium from the previous two cities, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Persecution from those who believe that salvation is based on good works. Persecution by that group, that family, of those who believe that salvation is based on good on God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And even Paul, in writing this letter, in chapter 5, verse 11, he says, I am still being persecuted. And in chapter 6, verse 17 of Galatians, Paul tells them, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. You know what those marks were? They were the scars from the stones that had been thrown at him. They were the marks of beatings at the hands of those who hate the gospel of Jesus. If you know that something is coming, you'll stand with more confidence when it comes. Paul is just saying, as it was then, so it is now. Confidently face this persecution, knowing who you are, and not backing down from it. Be confident in your salvation. Be confident in what family you belong to so that when persecution comes and it will come, you will be able to stand firm. He says as much in chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, maybe the persecution that we would face may not be from Jews as it was in Paul's day, but it could be from Any other person or group that thinks that salvation is by works alone and doesn't want to accept the truth that it is through faith alone. So confidently stand firm. Confidently face this persecution from children of law. Third, confidently reject those who teach salvation by works Confidently reject those who teach salvation by works. Not only stand firm and don't be swayed. Don't say, oh, persecution is coming. I'm not going to believe this anymore. I'm going to believe whatever the people who are persecuting me are going to believe. So that I won't be persecuted. Paul's going to address that in chapter 5. Not only stand firm, but reject that false teaching. What does he say there in verse 29? Cast out the slave woman and her son. The son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Cast out the slave woman. He's simply quoting that next verse after Ishmael laughed at Isaac. We we'll go back to verse chapter twenty-one of Genesis, verse eight. Or me, verse nine. The son of the slave woman was laughing, laughing in mockery, making fun. Of the child of promise, so Sarah says to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Now Paul takes that and he applies it to the current situation of the Galatians. He says, Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. We see that in the Old Testament story, but what is going on in this context of Galatians? Most likely, he's telling the Galatian believers, cast out these false teachers. Get rid of them. Confidently reject their teaching. Stop putting up with it. Run them off. Get rid of them. And today we should do the same thing with those who would proclaim a false gospel. Listen to me doesn't mean that we don't love them. It doesn't mean that we don't want them to turn and believe the true gospel. These are Jews who Paul is talking about, casting them out. Paul himself is a Jew by birth, and he loves his kindred. He loves them so much that in the book of Romans, he says, Oh, that I would be cut off from God in order that my brethren by Physical blood would be included in the promises. Basically, Paul says in Romans, I would go to hell if it meant that my brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles would believe the gospel and trust in Jesus. So Paul's not saying hate them. But he is saying for the sake of preserving the truth, have nothing to do with them. He said as much in chapter 2 when he went to Jerusalem taking Titus along with him. And there were these Jews who were slipping in to spy out the freedom that they had in Christ Jesus so that they would bring them into slavery. Paul says, to them we do not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. We never want our love to be Acted out in such a way that we sacrifice truth for the sake of love. We want to preserve truth. The Apostle John, in his second letter to folks that he was writing to who were facing false teachers, he says very specific instruction. They're facing false teaching. And John says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, that was the teaching of truth, That is, if someone comes and they're teaching a false gospel, he says, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him, takes part in his wicked works. That's some bold words, but basically, John is saying, if somebody is coming to your town, preaching a false gospel, don't let them sleep on your sofa. They can sleep out in the street. Because their message is sending people to hell. Now, love them and share the gospel with them as much as you can and feel like you can without you being sucked into what they're believing, but have nothing to do with them. So our confidence in our salvation, our confidence in in who we are in Christ leads us to stand firm when we face uh, persecution and leads us to confidently reject that false teaching. But last and finally. Because we can be confident in our status as children of the promise, we can confidently rejoice in the promised inheritance. We can confidently rejoice in the promised inheritance. Notice uh, the end of verse 29 Cast out the slave woman and her son, but the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Guess what? If the slave child is cast out, then that means the free child is welcomed in. If the slave child does not get to share in the inheritance, that means that the free child does share in the inheritance. What are we welcomed into? What do we get to share in? What is this inheritance? Freedom. Freedom. Freedom from the curse of the law. Remember chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, "Curse be everyone who does not abide by everything written in the book of the law and do them. We, are, we have freedom from the curse of the law. That is freedom from a life of futility, trying to earn justification. Just spinning our wheels as we go through life, trying to do enough good things, but realizing that we'll never do enough good things, which is really freedom from a life of discouragement. A life of meaningless discouragement. Freedom from the curse of the law. Freedom from the curse of the law. But not only freedom from the curse of the law, but even more foundationally, freedom from the wages of sin. Chapter 3, verse 22, Paul said, but the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin. What is this inheritance we get to share in? Freedom from the wages of sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. This is an eternal death, which means living forever under the curse of God, where you are alive and yet without hope, without true life, no hope of your status ever changing for all of eternity. The Bible calls out a place called hell. Freedom from the curse of the law. Freedom from the wages of sin. And freedom from this present evil age. Chapter 1, verse 4. Paul said, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 3, verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Part of the inheritance that we get by being children of promise isn't simply something that we get to enjoy when we get to heaven is something that affects our lives right now where even right now child of promise right now now child of promise you you can live out from under the bondage of this present evil age freedom from the bondage of sin in your life right now freedom from gossip freedom from pornography freedom from greed freedom from drunkenness, freedom from gluttony, freedom from bitterness, freedom from idolatry, freedom from fits of anger, freedom from lust, freedom from hatred, freedom from impatience, freedom from pride. What a glorious life to be freed from those things. And we can be freed from those right now. If you're a child of promise, you are freed from that. Those sins have no control over you. You're not bound to them, you have been set free from them. Freedom from the curse of the law, freedom from the wages of sin, freedom from this present evil age. Freedom of. Not just freedom from, but freedom of. Freedom of knowing God intimately. Remember in chapter three, verse, excuse me, chapter four, verse six, Paul said, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba Father. What does that freedom of knowing God intimately mean? That you, child of promise, you can run freely into his presence with your hurts and with your fears, with your joys and with your triumphs, with your cries for mercy and your shouts of praise. In jubilation or desperation, you and I, as children of promise, have unhindered access to the throne room of God. Amen? Amen. What a beautiful inheritance. Freedom of knowing God intimately. Freedom of serving God faithfully. I'm going to talk about that long because we're going to get into that in chapter 5. Notice chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith. Working through love. Verse 13 of chapter 5. For you are called to freedom, brothers, only. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And if we skip down to verse 22 of chapter 5, we find the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are freed up, not just from our sin, but freed up to serve God. To love others and produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The final fruit. Freedom. Freedom of living with God eternally. The freedom of living with God Almighty eternally. If you remember verse 26 But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. That glorious city of God that we who are children of promise to live in forever and ever and ever. That city where all tears are wiped away, where there is no more sorrow, where there is no more grief, where there is no more shame, where there is no more pain, where there is no more sin. We are not cast out, children of promise. We are welcomed in. Welcomed in. Welcomed in. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. Probably one of my favorite verses about heaven, even though the word heaven isn't in it. After Paul talks about the grace that we've been shown through Jesus Christ, saving us from our sin, he says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches. Of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You want to know one of the things that heaven is going to be like? We will experience God showing us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us forever and ever. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. Why? Because I'm a good person though. Why? Because I've done enough good things to make up for my bad things? No. No. Because God loved me so much that He sent His one and only Son to die on a cross, to take the wages of my sin, to come under the curse of the law for me, so that I could be set free, to enjoy Him both now and for all of eternity. What about you? Where is your confidence? If it's not in Jesus, you have no confidence at all in your salvation. But if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, live confidently. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Church, your children of promise must be confident in that. Heavenly Father. We love You because You first loved us. And we thank You that You have provided a way for us to go from being children of slavery to children of promise, children of freedom, children of You. But Father, we know it's only because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, help us if we have placed our faith in Jesus To have confidence, not in ourselves, but in what Jesus did on the cross. Father, and help it to to lead us as individuals in a church. To have confidence in facing persecution. To have confidence in rejecting false teaching. But to have confidence also in rejoicing in the inheritance that we have in Christ. Father, may people look at us on Monday morning. To say, why is that person so joyful? And we could say, because I'm a child of promise. And not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus did for me. And then we would follow that up with saying, and you can be a child of promise too if you will place your faith in Jesus today. Father, there's someone here who is not a child of promise. Because they've been trusting in someone else or something else. Trusting in their own good works to save them. Father, today, I pray that they would cast themselves upon Jesus Christ. So that they will not be cast out of your presence for all of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.